Join everybody and welcome. This is Identity Unlocked, and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specs and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by Yof Zero. In this episode, we are going to explore a somewhat arcane topic, the touch points between decentralized identity and OpenID Connect. The Connect group has been working on OpenID Connect extensions to integrate with verifiable everything, and it's time for us to take a closer look. And to do that, I invited back to the show Christina Yasuda, Identity Standards Architect in Microsoft, and Oliver Turbo, Architecture and Standards Lead at Consensus Mesh. Both are deeply involved in the initiative. Welcome, Christine and Oliver. Hello. Happy to be back. Hi, Vittorio. Excited to be on the show. Thanks for joining me today. We heard Christina's story in her very own episode last season. But now I'm very eager to learn about Oliver's trajectory that led him to identity. Yeah, so in general, I've been working on digital identity topics for about a decade. Uh, I studied computer science at the Technical University of Graz and worked early on on topics that were security related. Also, we have contributed um, code to open source TLS libraries, for example. And I was always excited about connecting peers and exchanging data between peers security and privacy was always a major component of that. So later on, I worked on hardware token security at a company called Vasco, and which also had their own identity and access management product. Uh, so I had hands-on experience with a lot of protocols such as SAML, OpenA Connect, and so on, but also things like Cleveros and very ancient stuff like radio servers. So back then I was mostly a developer and then I felt ready for a change. I joined the, the Austrian state printing house whose business is issuing traditional ID documents such as passports and driver's licenses to countries. And so I worked at the innovation department as a solution architect and we developed a mobile ID solution for the public sector specifically. That's also where I got involved in standardization organizations. So for example, I was a member of W210 that developed the ISO 18013-5 specification, which is better known as the Mobile Driver's License Specification. Had a very active role there, contributed to the specs, and also during that time where I attended IAW and EIC regularly. And after a while, I found SSI, so Self-Sovereign Identity, very, very interesting. Also brought those ideas to my, my company and we developed a couple of ideas based on that. And... At some point, I decided that uh, changing the paradigm from centralized to decentralized IDPs or user-controlled IDPs is something that I wanted to work on. And yeah, so then I joined the consensus team on the Uport team, which was one of the very early players in the decentralized and self-sovereign identity space. Became member of W3C, worked on the VC spec and the DID specs, so the verified credentials and decentralized identifier standards. And also co-author of several DAD specs and the W3C Verifiable Credential Implementers Guide and the DAD Rubrics document and so on. I'm also co-chair of the DITCOM and Authentication Working Group in the Decentralized Identity Foundation. And for example, so the, the 
I think it's really important that the W3C and WCC, VC, and DID specs are just um, data model specifications. And the transfer protocols for exchanging verifiable credentials and issuing those have not been standardized. That's where I started to think about what could help adoption of SSI. And OpenMIDI Connect was the obvious choice for the transport layer, especially since RPs are most important for adoption. And uh, I assumed that uh, they're already familiar with OpenMIDI Connect. I think. At IAW in 2018 is where we first suggested a DID or VC profile based on OpenMedi Connect, which then led to the OpenMedi Connect um, for SSI set of family specs. Wonderful. Thank you for this uh, accelerated uh, history. It's uh, truly interesting and uh, clearly positions you as the right person for the job to be here with Christina and uh, describe this uh, mysterious space. And I think that's a good segue for the actual meat of the episode. In your description, you had like this uh, whole range of uh, arcane terms for the people that are not part of the SSI movement. So you said VC, you said VP, you said the DIDs, uh, you said DIDCOM, all these like uh, interesting keywords. And one thing that drives me up the wall in this space is that very often you see people describing the how of uh, decentralized identity, somewhat assuming that everyone is on board and understand what this stuff is. Not know, understand. Because like, I can manipulate strings and say, okay, more or less it did means X, so let me do math on top of it. But I'd like to do something very ambitious here. And I'd like to start the episode by actually talking about uh, decentralized identity value proposition in itself so that uh, once we get a, at least a basic grasp about what this thing does, you mentioned uh, shifting the paradigm from centralized to decentralized. Those are all uh, very well-established things that we are doing in the industry. So shifting the paradigm means that uh, there is meat on the other side of a bridge, that it's worth it to do the work. So let's start by actually talking about decentralized identity in concrete terms. So can you guys help me understand what is the value proposition of decentralized identity and explain some of the concepts. Don't throw words at me. Explain to me what that thing is. Yeah, let me give you two concrete examples that we've been working on for the past couple of years. So one is NHS in the UK, where they have 1,200 organizations sitting under them, and they're moving their staff across these hospitals quite often. And before, it was taking weeks, months to you know make sure that doctor has a required rights to, you know, move to be working in that new hospital to prove their working history is a past hospital. And yes, you can do it in existing system, but using verifiable credentials, it proved to be less, it would prove to be cheaper and less time consuming because now a doctor has their own credentials already verified by the issuer that it can take from one place to another and just prove on the spot that, yes, I have the medical privileges. Thank you. This is a, a very concrete use case. I love it. Can you help me understand the connection between what you said and what Oliver said? As in, Oliver said, I retain control over my own identifier. Here, instead, you mentioned something about the issuer. 
what's the are you talking about the same thing or are you talking about a different uh, property a different aspect of the centralized identity let's separate DABs from VCs right verifiable credentials <laughs> you're using words that I don't know yet if you want to use them you can use them but first you have to explain it you said the DID and uh, VC can you expand on that So verifiable credentials is a piece of data signed by the issuer telling to whom it has been issued. And that's as simple as it is, right? And decentralized identifiers in very simple terms are decentralized PKI. When you obtain the public keys to verify the signature on the verifiable credential, you can use conventional JWKS URI, you know, nothing stops you from that. But you can also use identifiers stored on some distributed ledger. And I think the verifiable credentials are not contingent on GIDs. So maybe we were talking about different things with Zalimar. Okay, fantastic. So thank you. This really helps. So Christina, thank you for the summary. Basically, what you were saying is uh, what Oliver was uh, describing was uh, a decentralized identifier, a property of that. Instead of what you were talking about, where the centralized, where verifiable credentials and they are not the same they are both part of the decentralized world they are both useful primitives but they are not the same right absolutely and do i have time to give one more concrete example <laughs> absolutely go for it let's say i'm an organization and i want my this is my concrete project as a ko university in japan right and they want their former students employees to be able to leverage their former affiliation without keeping track of growing number of alumni. And in that case, if you can take the, get the alumni, the former employees and students to carry the data that I attested at one point of time to be true without me having to actively store that data that really save costs for the organizations. And also from an identity provider perspective, we have, as a Microsoft, We have several huge tenants, which cost us a lot of money to store their information. So that might be good for us too. Let me understand this better. Like in the Tokyo scenario, basically you are telling me that uh, the university doesn't want to store this information. So they are giving it to the end user and then they are deleting it from their database. So if a user loses them, they never graduated. There is no longer a database of graduating people. Like, I'm just asking to we're trying to understand what is the, the thrust behind uh, we don't want to keep track of uh, users anymore. Yeah, I think we're still deciding on that point. Ideally, they would want to delete, but you're right. Maybe it's just putting from an active storage to a cold storage. Okay, great. Active storage, cold storage sounds absolutely fantastic. So wonderful. Thank you. So what I've heard so far is uh, one nice property, but I didn't hear a use case for it yet. I heard an, um, a primitive, which is uh, the verifiable uh, credential. And one thing that uh, you mentioned is that, that this stays with the user. So okay, can you help me understand better how is this verifiable credential different from what I would normally get from a traditional centralized identity provider? Like uh, you are describing that and I'm thinking uh, ID token, I'm thinking SAML token. What is uh, the thing that I need to stop thinking about that uh, that is uh, unique of the centralized identity? So right now, when I'm trying to get login or be authenticated, I'm being redirected to a third-party identity provider where data about myself is being stored, right? I only provide 
if I can prove it's me using password or username or I don't know, biometrics, FIDO, the rest is up to identity provider. So three parties are involved, right? Service provider I'm trying to access, me as an identity provider. As for verifiable credentials, I will have the data that verifier needs. So no need to redirect me anywhere. I want to access the service. I provide verifiable credentials. The service verifies a signature that it's from the issuer it trusts, and I get access to whatever I want is an ideal model. I see. So basically you are saying uh, I'm getting my set of attributes in a sign thingy, which still reminds me a lot of uh, a classic token, but the difference is that uh, I have it cached on my machine, my, on uh, whatever I'm using. And so now when uh, I stumble on a relying party that I want to use those credentials with, I can just use them without having to call home and let the identity provider know and uh, do an online verification and similar. Is that a fair summary? That's a good summary. That sounds great. I can think of many interesting applications of this if I don't want my identity provider to know where I'm going. Ah, you know, that's fantastic. Very good. Very liberating. So wonderful. Thank you. I think that we have already done way more than uh, classic content on this stuff by at least making an effort to make this thing concrete. And I do think that uh, this uh, use case is very convincing. So let's uh, go a bit farther and let's go through the artifacts and the standardization efforts that uh, are happening in this space. Like for a moment, let's not think about OpenID Connect yet. Let's think uh, of the various uh, standards and uh, artifacts uh, the things that are already out there in the decentralized space. And so, after, and in particular, the ones that will have a touch point with OpenID. And so once we understand those, then we can go to OpenID and see how we are integrating. I think the most important thing to note is that verifiable credentials are just a data model. So there are different pieces scattered everywhere and it's just a data model. So there really is a need to, how do you transport those credentials? So you mentioned data model. Where is this data model defined? Like, uh, are there standards that define these more than one, uh, just one? Uh, we, who did it in terms of uh, standard organizations? That's where we actually found, okay, there are gaps and um, you wanted to fill these gaps by developing uh, specifications that allow you to exchange the data between these three parties. And in OpenID Connect, we have very similar parties, which is the OpenID Connect provider and the um, self-issued OpenID Connect provider and the relying parties. So also speaking about the artifacts, I think one important thing to note is also that in DIFF, we have the presentation exchange and the credential manifest um, data model specifications. And they're also just data model specs and they are supposed to be embedded in transport protocols. And um, since um, OpenID Connect is a very popular, already adopted protocol and assume relying parties would like to see uh, also support for that. And relying party production is very, okay. Thanks, Oliver. That's great. Let me understand a couple of things better. One, you said uh, diff, and uh, I guess it's an acronym for something, but uh, I don't know what it is. And the other thing is uh, you mentioned that all these uh, are data models and uh, that in terms of transport, OpenID is more popular. But is there any prior art for transport before OpenID? 
Like if uh, you wouldn't have this integration of, with OpenID ongoing, are there any other mechanisms, uh, no matter how like uh, adopted or otherwise, that you can use for moving this data? So historically, so the SSI space, we saw a lot of proprietary solutions to exchange data, those credentials for issuance and presentation. I think one of the goals of the OEDC for SSI specs is to actually standardize those transports and by defining an extension for OPD Connect that allows blind parties to include SSI into their business processes. So basically you're saying that uh, W3C defined the formats, but not the transports. But of course, for real systems, people had to move this stuff around. And given that they left their own devices, they basically built proprietary stuff. And so now the main standardization thrust, like you are putting all of your chips on OpenID. I think ultimate goal is if I'm a relying party and I want to start to rank party that already supports OpenID Connect and with min- additional minimal effort, I can also accept referable credentials and enable those new use cases. That's what we want while leveraging you know, security and simplicity that OpenID Connect is so popular for and has a proven record. So I think that's the one. 10 second pitch. And I still don't know what is DIF or DIF, uh, whatever you uh, you call it. Decentralized Identity Foundation, a foundation founded to focus on standardizing certain aspects that were needed to enable decentralized identity use cases with VCs and DIDs. And uh, the OpenMedia Connect specs are actually based on two specifications that the Decentralized Identity Foundation um, defined. So the first one is the presentation exchange spec, which allows a verifier to encode a query to request certain credentials from a holder. Can you make a concrete example of that? Help me understand. It will help um, a verifier to basically define a query that asks for a driver's license credential. So that the holder wallet that receives the presentation exchange uh, request would then be able to pick the corresponding credential to answer the request and then... So what it brings to the existing request syntax to OpenID Connect is a bit more granularity in detail. So as, now as a relying party, I can request, give me one credential out of these credentials or give me credential issued by this issuer and that now that this fiber credentials now's responsibility has shifted also to the you know user's wallet to choose and pick what to present. It becomes a really important aspect. Aha! Uh-huh. New word wallet. Can you expand on that? Yeah, that's a sometimes overloaded term, but I think the place that uses to store credentials, be it on the device, be it in the browser, be it in the cloud, people generally refer to it as a wallet. I see. And also new use of a very well-known term, which is credential. So here, I guess that when we say credential, we don't really mean username and password or web often, but we mean the thing that you guys have been talking about so far, which is like a set of attributes from an issuer about a certain subject. Absolutely. Claims that describe property about the user. My financial statement, my you know professional it proves that I work for Microsoft, you know, set kind of claims. So let me summarize what you guys said. Like uh, DIF uh, is a foundation that looks after decentralized identity. The, the exchange that you were describing was like an early attempt, uh, which now is going to be superseded by the OpenID integration of actually teaching relying parties how to ask for a particular credential and particular attributes. And these uh, assumes the presence 
for the on the user's device of some kind of software that you call the wallet, which will have uh, a collection of those credentials and the means to actually send them over. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, and I think Oliver mentioned the two specifications in ZIF, and the second one was that where Oliver is lead author on, called initially called ZIF PSYOP, PSYOP standing for self-issued OpenID provider and OpenID Connect. That was actually the precedent of the updated work of self-issued OP and Connect. So PSYOP was actually in the IF because I thought it was the famous Section 5 of... Uh, seven, seven. Seven, seven, sorry. No, Sayop was definitely the yes. What we tried in the diff in the data authentication working group was to define a profile for that allows DIDs to be used for authentication through OpenID Connect. And that's where we use Sayop. So we defined a profile, you know, with how to use certain parameters in the Sayop protocol with DIDs. And then we ran into a couple of issues where we we're thinking okay, we need to solve more fundamental issues of the SIOP spec and then that's led us to the conclusion that we would need to get more a more close collaboration with the OpenID Foundation. So we started um, a process in the OpenID Foundation to work on a new SIOP 2 spec. Yeah, so now there's a liaison between ZIF and OIDF. <laughs> Very nice. Collaboration for the win. So I think that uh, we ought to spend a bit more on this idea of uh, self-issued, given that like uh, it really is not the same as uh, stuff issued by a provider, which is kind of like what we were suggesting uh, when we were talking about verifiable credential. So let's talk a bit more about self-issued. Is this thing more tied to the DIDs that you were mentioning earlier? Or is it unrelated? Like, tell me more about what these concept of self-issued, given that is uh, pretty different from what you would do classically with OpenID. So request comes in, and now the user wants to directly present those claims about themselves, right? But then the user also needs to authenticate to the relying party. And that authentication piece becomes self-issued OpenID provider, where the very first comment by Oliver user needs to prove that the user controls that identifier. And if you want to do it cryptographically, say, I as a user control the key used to sign this ID token being sent back to the relying party, that constitutes, so it's a self-attested ID token. That's what self-issued OP does. I just want to try to separate that does not directly constitute presentation or transportation of verifiable credentials or verifiable presentations. So if you want to do that, there's a separate specification called OpenID Connect for verifiable presentations. And that one works with any OpenID Connect flow, not just self-issued OP flow, but those of code flow, SIBA, everything you already use. So you said self-issued and you also mentioned claims. And then you said that for a verifiable credential, you have a different spec. So I'm just trying to make sure I nail the self-issued case. And so when you say self-issued case, you mentioned something about you prove that you have control over your key, which is great. But then the claims that you are sending, are those claims things that you declared, kind of like a form filler, or are those claims issued by an issuer with their own signature, and then the relying party is supposed to check two signatures, basically. So what is the self-issued case? It can be three scenarios, right? First, when I just use self-issued OP to do self-attested authentication, 
if say Reliant Party trusts an ID token signed by me, basically me bringing my own identifier to the Reliant Party saying, use this identifier instead of a third party OP provided identifier. That's a basic one. So but let's pause there. So the thing that you described basically means I'm a user, I wanted to access a website, whatever, and now I am crafting my own token with my own identifier, sure, but I'm also the entity that is signing this token. And so now the relying party, when it receives this token, it's actually verifying that signature, but the signature is not of an uh, issuer that issues tokens for multiple users. It's just uh, an identity provider of one. It's just me. Am I doing uh, okay? Yes. As then you asked about the claims, the information about the user. So yes, the second scenario would be on top of self-signed ID token, I can send self-signed claims. Claims that I attest that are true. Maybe my name, my email address, you know, whatever it works. But that does not give enough kind of trust from the relying party. Can they really trust these claims? So you can also use third-party signed claims that have been pre-issued to the user, though maybe they'll be issued on the flight, but and those can be verifiable credentials. They're just one of the data format, right? Where the issuer is saying that I have verified previously before that presentation of the claim that this user, say Christina, actually works for this company. I pre-issued that to Christina. And now I can send that third-party issued signed claim to the relying party. And I don't know, or maybe you want to talk about the verifiable presentation aspect of this. When you present those credentials to a reliant party, whether they are self-attested or not, you will also want to provide the proof of control of those credentials. And because otherwise anyone could present anyone else's credentials, which would be not great for security, obviously. So let me pause there just to expand on the details. So you and Christina described this progression in which I first just use, like I say, an skeleton ID token in which uh, I signed it using the key that the relying party knows it's me. So now I'm my own issuer. Then she added the case in which that ID token has uh, attributes inside, but they are declared by me. So the trust is only on the user. So not necessarily very strong. And then she mentioned that this thing can actually be, like the claims can be issued by someone else. And so now you are pointing out one interesting property, which is like a how do we make sure that these uh, claims that come from a different issuer are actually mine, as in uh, of this particular user, and it's not this user which somewhat stole this thing from the issuer for someone else and has been putting them inside my token. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. That's correct. Wonderful. Great. So tell me about this magic mechanism which allows a user to affirm that they are actually the owner of the things that have been asserted about them. So issuers typically issue those credentials to an identifier, which can be cryptographically, which is cryptographically provable. So a user that owns that identifier would be able to prove control over that identifier. So when you present a credential, which can be multiple credentials at the same time to a relying party, then you would wrap them inside of a so-called verifiable presentation that just contains the credentials. And since everyone since typically every of these credentials is issued to an identifier, the presentation would need to also contain proofs of control over, over the identifier that are contained in the credentials. And um, 
You would also then use um, nonces and challenges and domain parameters to also protect against uh, replay attacks and ensure that um, the presentation can only be presented domain or relying party that was intended. Right. I think just in one sentence, assure signs that claim belongs to a certain public key that equates to a certain user. And user is expected to use the same public key to sign over that entire issuer issued claim to say that it's been issued to me, I control it, and I can present it to you. So it's a really kind of, I prove that I, it's my credential, but being able to sign over it. Fantastic. That's super clear. Thank you. That's fantastic. I think with, with every form of presentations in general and credentials with the data model, since uh, the proofs are quite flexible, you would be able to just uh, use simple signatures to prove control of those credentials. But in the future, people also anticipate more privacy-preserving signature scheme as well, maybe even built on CKP. So some people in the community are also experimenting with large um, proof technologies. Only a cryptographer will call a signature simple, but yes, I get your point. Yes, that's an incredibly powerful mechanism. Okay, like clearly we underestimated how much time it would take to really flesh out those, uh, those concepts, but I'm okay with that because I think it's uh, like everything else, like the how it can be easily found uh, looking up info online, but instead these kind of like digging and connecting the dots is something that uh, personally, when I was trying to learn this space, it was just very difficult to find. So. I hope we are doing a, a public service. So now, given that we don't have much time left, let's shift gear and let's talk specifically about the work with the OpenID Foundation. So what are the initiatives that are ongoing? What are the specs that you guys are working on in the context of OpenID? So there is OIDC for SSI spec family that consists of three specifications. One is claim segregation for issues. Second is self-efficient OpenID provider version two. And third one is OIDC for VP, standing for OpenID Connect for verifiable presentations. Let's say use a few words to describe each of them in terms of what they are trying to do and some of the mechanics of it. So claim segregation covers the issuance of credential from the issuer to the user. And the two big elements it adds is one, how do you bind the credential to that user? Because as we have discussed, that it's very important. So user has to provide some cryptographic material to which the issued credential will be bound. And second is how does the user request which credential to be issued, which needs some flexibility we discussed this presentation exchange previously. Fantastic. So what is the extra stuff that you are adding on top of OpenID Connect? Is it just a profile? and you are using parameters that are already in place, like, I don't know, the claims parameter, which apparently can be used for anything, or are you introducing uh, new artifacts, like new parameters and new stuff? The goal is to try leverage existing connect mechanisms as much as possible and combine them with other work done in the space, for example, work in Tiff and others. So. so there is no YANA section in this uh, claim segregation specification, which says uh, those are the new parameters that uh, IDC needs to recognize. So claim segregation is really being shaped, Victoria. 
So we let's be happy with uh, what its intent is, which you described beautifully. So let's just move to the next one, which was the PSYOP. All right, which we had an entire episode on, but it was one year ago. So do you want to give a, a revised description of that? So PSYOP deals with key management and mainly metadata discovery. So but the key management, I mean, now that it's really important now that users have to self-sign the ID token and potentially some claims, how does the relying party discover the public key to verify that information is one important aspect. And second is now that relying party and open ID provider on the users, under the user's control are directly talking, how do you discover the metadata about each other? Be it authorization endpoint or be it the signature algorithm supported by the relying party that is a second big aspect that Sayop tackles. Fantastic. That's great. Very clear. What about the third one? So third one, OIDC for VP, and two big elements we added is one is request query language, request syntax. How can we make the request from the relying party give me that credential richer? And that is presentation exchange spec. We made sure it works well with OpenID Connect syntax. So there minimum changes to connect implementations. And second big aspect is how do you return verifiable presentation is the response. So we defined a new artifact called VP token. So you can send VP token alongside ID token. Or you can embed a verifiable presentation directly inside the ID token. So those are two options we have right now. And we kept them because we are waiting for the implement implementer's feedback to decide whether to keep those or maybe choose one. I'm super glad that you still have the two different options because uh, I remember the discussions that you guys led uh, at the last two IIWs. And uh, for me, those are all great ideas, but then eventually someone needs to make them happen in the market. I'm always very wary overloading artifacts. And so if now you place uh, all the things that you described and if you want to do all the use cases that you described and you burden the ID token for doing that, people might be already using the ID token for something else. So now you might end up being surprised. So I'm so glad that you guys uh, introduced a, a VP token type. Actually, I can attest. So one year ago, I was a big proponent for embedding inside the ID token. That's what our implementation did. But actually, very recently, we shifted to the VP token model because it's cleaner, it's easier to implement. So, yeah, <laughs> valid feedback, Vittorio. Fantastic, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So, Oliver, if uh, you can think of a call to action for the community, like if you have a magic wand and you could uh, lead the community to do your bidding, what would you want them to do to help and contribute to the efforts we described today? Yeah, I think that people who are listening to this podcast, they should join the OpenID Foundation and join the PSYOP working group. So they should join our calls. And I think we are really appreciating any kind of developer feedback so we can improve the specs. So we have not achieved yet the implementers draft, but I think it's a good shape so people can already play around with it. And every feedback is just um, appreciated. And look at the bucket issues, contribute to that. If you're not fine with anything, start a discussion there. Any feedback in general, appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you, Oliver. Christina, what is your call to action? Please implement. There are already open source libraries emerging, so it should be easier. 
And one last point I really want to highlight is OIDC for VP works with code flow too. So if you don't want to use PSYOP, you're free to do it. If you just want to start sending back and forth verifiable presentations using your existing implementation, it's really straightforward, should be. And if it's not, let us know. We'll fix to make it more straightforward. So that's, I think, the last big thing. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode and for being a really good sport. I know that... Uh, Usually in this space, uh, there are some things that are just uh, assumed to be true. And instead, uh, you have been very patient as I dug uh, trying to find the ground instead of just talking about the artifacts. And I think you guys did a fantastic job. I suspect that uh, here, without false modesty, I suspect that some people listening to this podcast will have the light gone and say, ah, that's what this thing is. And my hope is that it will help to have more people join you and help developing those important standards. Thank you, Victoria, for asking the great questions that really helps disentangle these things. And you're doing the community a great service, I think. And thanks for trying to understand this. No, seriously, we really appreciate it. Yeah, also really thank you from my end. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks again for your time today. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast, composed and performed by Marcelo Walowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Zero.